Well, a uh, Mark uh, 16, obviously a passage that was uh, read a little bit earlier by, by Laura. I want us to repeat just a few of the verses here. It says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Now, a uh, friend uh, of pastor and writer John Ertberg was uh, attempting to tell the resurrection story in a children's sermon to the kids, much like we just had heard singing, and he asked the question, what were the first words to the disciples after he was raised from the dead? And before he was able to give an answer, a little girl raised her hand and she said, I know. Ta da! <laughs> and Ortberg said, You know what? That is as good a translation as any. You see, the messenger in our text said, He has risen, he is not here. Just a few words, and yet so much was said. As already best pointed out by Kaylin and Travis, this is a time of, tra of trauma capped by Good Friday. We call it good, but there wasn't much good about it from a worldly point of view. Tragedy and uncertainty and disbelief. And I want you to see and be reminded again this morning because, as, as again, has already been indicated, we tend to see things from this side of the cross and the resurrection. But looking at it from their point of view, remember that neither the Jews nor the Greeks were predisposed to believe in a person being literally and bodily resurrected any more than we might be. And yet here we are, the body of Christ, this morning. So Wednesday night, I had the opportunity to uh, be with the high, junior high and high school group, and, and we, were, we were thinking through the question as I was uh, kind of preparing and looking at the week, and uh, what a, just a wonderful group of uh, students we have. Lord has just blessed us with so many wonderful kids right now, and there was about 20 there Wednesday night, and, and we, were, we were together looking at the evidences, the truth of the resurrection as the best possible explanation of all the evidence. And I would suggest that no other theory comes close except that he indeed was raised. I think we're on some solid ground. Jesus Christ 
rose from the dead. Now, we looked at a few pieces of that evidence, and uh, just mentioning a couple of those for your benefit this morning, and maybe particularly for some in the crowd today who might be, well, I'm just not so sure, or that's really not how I've oriented my life, or I have more doubt than belief, or I'm kind of stuck in between belief and unbelief, or I'm here, but maybe I'm here because of a spouse or my kids, or I'm just not sure how to think about it all. And I don't know that I will do it all justice this morning, but I just want to give you a few things to think about here, and then we'll move into uh, from, from some of these evidences to what does this resurrection mean for us today. But first this, the, the, the four ancient texts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could be described as ancient biographies written by eyewitnesses or based on eyewitness testimony, written and circulated while many eyewitnesses were still alive. These biographies all say, albeit sometimes in a brief way, as it was still being processed and trying to be understood, Jesus rose from the dead. But secondly, we know that uh, people will die for a cause. But here in that first century, men and women, many men and women, died for a set of facts, the death and the burial, and the resurrection, but one might say beyond a set of facts, for a person. They went to their grave rather than say these things were untrue. They died because they said the facts of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus were true. Explain that evidence. I think it points in a direction. Or how about our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 5 through 7. I want to read this one. This is from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And he said it this way, and and that he appeared to Cephas, that that is Jesus, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And then he goes on, and then to me as one who was abnormally born. He's talking about the apostle Paul. There are, not counting Paul, 11 recorded times that Jesus appeared to people, proving that he was resurrected. These appearances were to men and to women, to individuals, to couples, to groups, at least to one crowd. The appearances were inside, they were outside, they were in different locations, they were at different times of the day. He was, uh, he was physically touched, he was audibly heard, he was visually seen, and he ate food and drank in the presence of many witnesses. Number four, in the very place where Jesus died and was buried, in that 
area of Judea, Palestine, there's this explosion of growth in the Christian movement. And it's all centered on one claim, that the grave was empty, that Jesus had actually risen. This great growth just weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The growth happened in the face of hostility, in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution. If Jesus had not risen, what could explain this explosive growth of the Christian story? And finally, I might suggest, and there are other pieces of evidence, but I might suggest this. What about the millions and millions of people with changed lives over the course of the last 2,000 years? What about those who have accepted the living Christ as their Lord and Savior? I would say in some ways it is the most compelling evidence of all. Followers of Christ from 120 that were huddled in the upper room afraid and confused and uncertain about what to do next to more than 2 billion people around the world celebrating in this day, He is risen. Let's pray. Lord God, as we think about the cross and the resurrection and the difference it makes, I pray that you'll open every heart in this assembly this morning. May we open ourselves, in spite of a resistance that we sometimes find, sometimes that we can't even explain as the evil one works in our world, in our church, and in our lives, we pray that we might surrender ourselves to what your Holy Spirit will say. May you speak to us as we think about the meaning of the, raised, the risen Christ this morning. Amen. About midweek, I uh, said, I, I, need to, I need to, I won't say boil it down because I still got plenty of words to say, okay? But I want to try to condense this to if I was put on the stand to testify for, about what it is that the resurrection of Jesus means to me, how would I put it? How would I put it? In other words, how would I live? Yes, but what would I believe? How do I live out Easter? You might say it's because of Easter. You don't have to take the things that I say, and I would love for you to write them down and, and, and think about them and, and dwell on them this week, and I don't think it'll be too far afield for, for, for most of us who have been around the faith for, for a while, but I want you to see I want you to think about what is it that this, that this resurrection 
means for your daily life. I'll suggest the first one. It's this way, and I put these in first person, that I can start fresh every moment as God's kind and new creation. And then I added, and so can you. In other words, there's the difference that the resurrection makes on us. And so we have a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that I think just sort of encapsulates all of what Jesus rising from the dead means. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It'd be great just to commit that to memory, wouldn't it? And to live that and relive it and say it again and again. Because as Jeremy already said a little earlier, it's about identity. Your identity, a new identity. We have this identity in Christ. And because of that, I don't need to live in guilt. I don't need to live in fear of God's wrath. I don't need to live in fear of condemnation or the fear of hell. I do not need to live in the fear of death. I don't need to put up with all of death's cronies. Loneliness or isolation or trauma or meaninglessness or even seeking or needing the approval of others because I can live each day as God's new creation by the power of the resurrection King. And I trust that God has got this completely. He's proven His victory over every enemy of your soul. And you know what? There are just countless passages that make that point relating the cross and the resurrection of Jesus to our deliverance from our past. Now, I tried to say it just a little more broadly than simply our past, but, I, but don't, 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 miss, don't miss it. If we're to, go ahead and put uh, point one back up there, Jeff. If you move backward to point, yeah, there it is. I can start fresh every moment as God's kind and new creation. It deals with our past. Our past is, can be, is wiped out because of what God has done. So if you want to shorten this to simply say, I am forgiven, and you, live, you leave today, leave this auditorium knowing that because you've accepted Christ, that you're forgiven then that would be a good place to begin. I want to give this as an Easter invitation right now in this point one. And if you have not come to Christ, if you've not been baptized in, into Christ, you've not put on Christ, you've not put away your old self and accepted this new life, this new creation, I want to extend that invitation. Be God's person. Put the old behind. But here's the Easter invitation. Are you free of your past life? If that's something you're trying to work out, if that's something you would like to think about with your family, if that's something in your own individual journey, let me know after the assembly today. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll put you in touch with some people in this church who can help you with that question. But let me put it this way. Romans 7, chapter, verses 24 and 25 says, what a wretched man I am. Paul is talking autobiographically. Who 
will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then how does he answer? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I have an amen? Amen. Go to the next verse as there's now no condemnation. Romans 8.1, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Point two is that I am now filled with God's kindness, the life-giving Holy Spirit. Now, I don't mean to suggest that I exercise that kindness all the time. I can be unkind. I can miss it. I can forget. But the truth is that now belonging in Christ, the Holy Spirit leads me. In fact, if you wanted to reduce this one down, because this is present tense, I would simply say it this way, I have the Holy Spirit to lead me. You see, Easter, the resurrection, guarantees that God is, God is alive in the world today. And so I know that there might be some of you, even this past week, that said something like this, I'm at the end of my rope. You might have said something like, I can't do it anymore. It's just too much. I want you to hear this. It is. You were never meant to live life apart from God's Holy Spirit. This is not just a churchy add-on. This is the way of life for those who understand God's salvation, God's plan for each one of us and for the world. I know I'm jumping around just a little bit, but I want to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 18 through 20, 19 and 20, because it's in, in speaking about how we now belong to Christ, it says this, Paul to the church in Ephesus, and his incomparably, what a great description, power for us who believe. Now, I'm not sure we always believe, therefore we miss the power. The power is there. It's hard sometimes to, to want to believe, but knowing how to incorporate the power. I understand there's a lot of practical components where there's slippage. But I want to suggest to you what the, Paul is saying here. This incomparably great power for us to believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated at him him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Whatever it took to get Jesus out of that tomb is now living in you through God's Holy Spirit. Power to start over, power to not give up, the power to not give in, the power to move past your regrets and your resentments and your cynicism. God can soften your heart through His Holy Spirit. The power to revive a dead dream. The power to rev a dead marriage. The power to revive a dead career. 
the power to be free from the past, the power to break the hold of bad memories, the power to change things you cannot seem to change on your own. How do we do this? We surrender to Him again in prayer. Pray that the resurrected Lord through the Holy Spirit will work in your life. This, how about this Easter invitation, number two? Reach out and pray to a living Jesus for someone else this week. Maybe for yourself, start there, but then for someone else. And it might feel awkward, and it might feel a little bit forward, and it might feel for, foreign, but I'll tell you what, the, the times in my life where somebody has said to me, I will pray for you, and pray the living Jesus for you, that has meant so much. And it's been striking how many times it was the right time. Exactly what I needed. So I'm going to ask you to do that on behalf of someone else this week. The counselor, that is the Holy Spirit in Scripture, promises He will help you with what to say. You see, experience the resurrection as a life-giving reality. Why am I trying to tie all this in this way? I want us to see that while the event of the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago, what we're talking about is, is tangibly real and applicable and relevant for this very day. For those of us who will believe. Number three. This one's a little windy. I got a shorter version of it. It's coming here in a moment. But here it is. I have great hope. Oh, magnificent hope. As a part of the larger future of God. In other words, my hope is in God's future where every kindness and every act of love and every injustice and every grief and every cry of the heart will be redeemed. This is what I am leaning into. This is what I can count on. Let's think about this for just a second. Stop so you're, we're, we're all together and we're tracking. We have dealt with the past. It's no longer a shackle, an obstacle that's going to hold us back because of the resurrection. We have a power in the present through the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and we're engaged with this one who will lead us. And now we have a future. We have a future, and it's being a part of God's future. It's not just my little tiny future. It's not just the future of your family. It's not the, just the future of this congregation. It's the future of the world, of all the heavens and all the earth. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And we are leaning into that future, and we are asking, Lord, bring it on. Easter is the beginning of the last chapter of the massive fulfillment of the promise of God. Paul says it, it is the first fruit of the new creation.
And when I put that phrase up there, I have a magnificent hope as a part of the larger future of God, this is the way I would define salvation. I don't know how you think of salvation, but salvation is being consumed by God's way and God's will and God's future that will win out for all of His creation. Yeah, see, part of it is being rescued, and that's kind of traditionally how we've thought about salvation. But beyond being rescued, now we are part of something that is magnificent, His kingdom. This is where you find your vocation, the reason to get up in the morning. This is where you find your purpose. This is where you find your calling. This is where you find and can use your gifts to build up this church which is a living expression of the kingdom to come. Work that fulfills the vision of God that He has for His future in the new heavens and the new earth. All right. If I had to summarize that one in uh, just a couple words, I'd say it this way. I have a secure future. An illustration and a summary. Did you know that what happened in Jesus' life while on this earth, on this planet, is going to happen forever? Let me illustrate it this way. As a young man, D.L. Moody was called upon suddenly to preach a funeral sermon. Some of you in the audience might have, some of the of you out there might have experienced that, even as a young person, and, and know, what, what do I say? He couldn't land what to preach on for the funeral. And he hunted all through the four Gospels trying to find one of the funerals of Jesus. And he searched and he searched and he searched in vain. Because church, there are none. Jesus Christ broke up every funeral he ever attended. Death could not exist where Jesus was present. And when the dead heard his voice, they sprang to life. And Jesus himself then says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the Easter difference. This is the spiritual power of Scripture that we most need, the truth of the future with God. And I don't mean to minimize anything that you're going through this morning. I know it can be tough. And I know it's one thing to know this, th- this and it's another thing to apply it in your own story. 
And I know some of you are hurting, and I know there are stresses, and I know for some, just like it was for those at the tomb, it was a traumatic week. And I've also noticed that sometimes it doesn't seem to get all that easier as you get older. It doesn't seem to get easier with time. But we have so much to live for. As a new creation, joined with God's Spirit, and evermore to look forward to. I want to give you one more passage that speaks to the looking forward. It makes our whole series on kindness come full circle. Paul says in that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2, in order that in the coming ages, He, meaning God, might show the incomparable riches. There's nothing else like it in all of existence of His grace expressed, that is on display, that is made manifest. It's showcased in His kindness to us. We will see it and participate in it and praise it for all of eternity. As we see the grace and kindness of our God in Jesus Christ. So we lean into that future with our resurrected God, forever participating in His continuous display of grace with amazing joy, with amazing delight. Okay, here it is. This is how we're going to do it for the rest of eternity. Ta-da! God has got this. Let's sing together. <laughs>